I felt like the beginning of the song, you know that Jason Statham movie Crank? <laughs> I, felt like I was like in that in that when it started, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, what's going on here? Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to yet another episode of 1001 Album Complaints, your favorite podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and music critics go through albums on the list of Robert Dimery's 1001 albums you must hear before you die, give our very insightful and never jackassed opinions on it. This week, we have been listening to the album Yank Crime by Drive Like Jehu. A uh, little bit of a uh, of a sleeper album for me. I had not heard these guys before, but uh, if you guys have heard them before and are familiar with them, fantastic. Great, great, great to hear. If you've never heard them before, strap in, get ready. We're going to dive in and give our opinions and at the end, vote and tell you whether or not this is an album that you must hear before you die. Very quickly, we're just going to play a quick track off of the album and then we're going to give our tweet length impressions of it. So, Without any further ado, we have the opening track on the 1994 album Yank Crime by Drive Like Jehu, Here Come the Rome Plows. drums everyone are they still <laughs> intact <laughs> yeah i guess i'll throw it over to alan alan what did you think of this album <laughs> so it, a while back i did this thing called a tough mutter where you basically run through 12 miles of mud you get electrocuted along the way you crawl under barbed wire and afterwards you're filthy and exhausted and you're wondering like why the hell did i subject myself to this i kind of felt like this album was just like that Okay, hot takes coming in. <laughs> Rob, what do you got for us? Yeah, my review is this is that feeling when you agree to let your angsty teenage stepson's band practice in your garage for some reason. But then, as the weekend drags on with a bit of a closer listen, you find that it's actually well-contained, well-controlled noise, just with an absolutely terrible singer. <laughs> All right, and uh, I am Tom, and... Uh, my tweet-length review is that uh, Yank Crime has all the beauty and subtlety of a drunken fistfight in an alley. But I think that's what they were going for. And <laughs> I've watched a lot of YouTube videos of street fights before, so I can't say that it's not my thing. Oh, yeah. What, yeah. Well, tell us about these videos. Oh, dude. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll link you some subreddits uh, when we're done with this. Can we put that on the on the playlist? So... Let's uh, let's dive right in. A little bit of background on the band Drive Like Jehu. I had no idea who they were before. I had heard this name from some people that I had played music with, and not 
in the same bands but played shows with and it actually made their sound make a lot more sense to me after listening to this band but uh drive like jehu very well regarded as a post-hardcore band and very often it's said that these guys were like the kind of bridge from post-hardcore into emo point of the way towards emo which I think shows up on some of the tracks. Anyway, they were formed in 1990 in San Diego. Uh, there are four guys in the band. Originally, it was Chris Bratton on drums, Rick Froberg on vocals and guitar, Mike Kennedy on bass, and John Reese on lead guitar. John Reese and Rick Froberg were also in Hot Snakes, uh, which came after this. And John Reese is kind of a guy. He has He's the founder of Swami Records. Apparently, he has the nicknames of Slasher, Speeder, and The Swami, which are all just terrible, terrible nicknames. <laughs> Sounds like a delight. <laughs> Very shortly after they formed, they were trying to record their first album. They kicked Chris Bratton out, and they got this guy Mike Trombino on drums. Mike Trom- uh, Mark-, Mark Trombino actually ended up becoming kind of a guy. I don't know if any of you guys looked at his Wikipedia page, but he was a very well-respected producer, engineer, and mixer post his time with uh, with Drive Like Jehu. Yeah, he did like Blink-182 records and mm-hmm. bands like that, right? Yeah, he also, he was the producer on that Jimmy Eat World album, Bleed American, which has that mm-hmm. song The Middle on it, which was hugely successful. Yeah. That one? Yeah. yeah. Wait, so they're responsible for this shit? For the emo uh, explosion? As I recall, all the songs on those two aforementioned band's records were quite short. Trombino <laughs> clearly didn't have much editing rights over this one. Well, and honestly, like the crispness of the recording, maybe it's just access to different gear, I'm sure, but like this, the sound of this is, I didn't think this was particularly well recorded. I didn't think it was particularly well mixed. I thought the sound was very muddy and very, everything's kind of hung together in a way that I did not find very appealing. Well, I think you talked about intention right at the top, and I, I do think upon several listens of this, it kind of grew on me a little bit. It's grimy, and I think it's purposefully grimy. It's really meant, and I think it achieves, sounding like a live band in a crappy club, kind of like you just dropped the mic in the center of that room, and the singer's just shouting above the din. you know. But I, I have to believe that's what they were going for. Well, I kind of think they had to be going for that because, you know, I mentioned earlier, this particular album, their second album, they were pursued by Interscope Records. And John Reese, who was also in Rocket from the Crypt, which is more kind of like a, he described it as a party band. Um, it's a more straightforward songs, but apparently Interscope was pursuing both of those bands at the same time, signed them kind of at the same time. So this was not a indie, I'm doing it in my friend's recording studio type of project. Like they had some money behind it. So the fact that it still kind of came out, recorded very shittily, it, it must have been intentional. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just They don't strike me as the kind of band that's going for fidelity. I mean, this is just like unbridled, just, I want to say rage, but I mean, what was there to be mad about? Grew up in San Diego. I mean, I don't that's the problem. Dude, San Diego is a pretty aggro city. I've never particularly liked San Diego, but it seems like it's a, kind of more of an aggro city than uh, than you would expect. Yeah, I think a lot of punks came out of that because it's it's actually very conservative. It's, it's quietly conservative because of the military presence there. And so if you're non-conformist in any way i think you're you're pretty angry at the machine yeah so just one very interesting side note that i that i was looking up was like oh interscope records 
it wasn't that long after Interscope Records started that they were uh, that they released this album. But I just wanted to like, hey, I wonder what Interscope Records kind of like how they got their start. The first song, the first album that was released by Interscope Records was by that guy Gerardo, who had that song Rico, Rico Suave. Suave. Yeah. <laughs> that wow. was apparently the birth of Interscope Records was Rico Suave. There's literally a line in that song where he says, that's the price you pay for being a gigolo. Oh, I'm surprised they were able to sustain the the record label after after that <laughs> that magic. <laughs> this was, I mean, I wonder. Uh, maybe you have more context on this, Tom. But in the record industry at this time, and every researching this band and this record made me laugh about the ridiculousness of genre names and the splintering of said genre names and how no one can seem to. They're either post hardcore, they're post rock, they're math rock. They're punk prog. Like it goes in so many different directions. All of it's meaningless, screamo. basically. It doesn't doesn't yeah, it doesn't tell you anything. They're emo, they're screamo. It doesn't tell you anything about how the band sounds. But I feel like that was very of that moment in the nineties where it was sort of an explosion of indie bands or or what had previously been independent, which was a, covered a lot of range of genre and sound, getting getting eaten up by the the bigger labels, right? Yeah, I I would say that there was I, I feel like there also was a lot of just creative force going on in the 90s where music was going in different directions. It had been so dominated by this sort of synth and hair stuff throughout the 80s that you had hip hop coming along and then you had, you know, like the grunge scene kicking off and you have all of these different divergence, divergent sounds that are, you know, they're still bands, but they're they're just doing more stuff. And I don't quite know why so much of that stuff was coming to the fore. Maybe it's just everybody's really sick of the same old bullshit that you were getting with your fucking poisons and your dockins and your rats and whatnot. But yeah, it, it did seem like there was a lot of bands that probably became progenitors of other types of music. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know where that sort of naming explosion, that might also be like, you know, ex post facto. They're just like going back and saying like, oh, they were this, they were that. I don't know if these guys at the time would have been like, we're post-hardcore, we're emo, we're math rock. I think they were probably were just like, oh, we're some fucking band that you know makes a lot of noise. Right, and I, I do feel like this is one of those bands I'm sure we're going to get into and mention a lot of other bands that these guys would have influenced, but it occurs to me right off the bat, right, that they're they're held in high esteem or this record's held in pretty high esteem partly because it, f- it feels like you can draw a line between this and a lot of other bands that ultimately had a lot more success. Bands like Modest Mouse or, you know, Built to Spill or just a lot of stuff that sort of came after this. And I can, the longer I listen to it, the more I could hear a lot of those sounds in there. Well, yeah, I mean... I'd say yes and no to that because in all honesty, a lot of what we're talking about here is just that like the guitar is kind of fucking atonal and doesn't really hue to, uh, you know, melodic standards and it's kind of noisy and angry. And to say that that is like maybe that not that nobody would have thought of that before them. It just seems weird. Like this, this seems like your garage band that kept playing together for a long time and never really got much better. I didn't also get the math rock thing. I mean, they played in like not 4-4 sometimes, but math rock I expect to be a little bit more switching time signatures. I also thought that too. Like just the term math rock in general, I've always kind of struggled with. And it was funny I heard or I saw this album referred to as algorithmic. Like what the fuck? (laughs) There's no algorithm. It's just like 
oh, they're playing in five and now they're playing in three. And, and yeah, I thought the same thing. It, it seems like, uh, and that term seemed to have kind of gone away as well. People seem like they're not into that anymore. I, I agree with the sentiment. I interpret that as punks, punks found new time signatures. Like it finally made it to punk music. And that's the, you know, I think that's the framing device that ultimately I came around to here is that it helped if I thought of this as an offshoot of punk or an evolution of punk music, bringing in things like time signatures and diminished voicings or diminished intervals and some atonal stuff, as opposed to how it was kind of being pitched retrospectively as an evolution on prog music, which I love. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you can't listen to King Crimson and then listen to these guys and be like, they took it a giant leap forward. You're like, no, it's it's not. <laughs> they definitely didn't. But that said, that was one of the comparisons that I had to check myself, go back and li- I listened to Red today, particularly the title track Red, but the whole album King Crimson Red, which is great. And I see the comparison. I see the way the guitars are stacked. There's some similarity. Like they, I can 100% believe that Drive Like Jay who listened to that record a lot. Well, I also and you know, I also think you don't see that kind of virtuosity because I think they're technically it's undeniable that they're like great players. And it's not to slight punk music at all, but like you generally don't see that kind of those kind of chops being flexed. Plus with the songs being, you know, in punk rock, like if you go back to some of that hardcore quote unquote, you know, it's like minute long, 2 minute long songs and this must have felt very different at the time. You know, I will say I did not necessarily think that their playing was technically very good. Let's put it that way. Especially the guitars. I didn't think I didn't find the guitars to be difficult or orally pleasing um most of the time. The bass is driving. I'll give that to the bass the bass is really driving, but I didn't find it to be again technically difficult or that technically interesting um now it doesn't always have to be and their drummer was doing a lot of stuff but i think as adam who is not with us tonight pointed out that you know he's slowing up and speeding down on a lot of the parts where he's trying to do more technical stuff and so when i look at it from the standpoint of like like none of these guys could have been session musicians right not that everybody has to but i i didn't look at them as like a technically that proficient. I just think the bar was really low for the kind of music that they're playing in terms of technical proficiency. In punk music, that's yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. If you stack them up against Robert Fripp and who else is in King Crimson? Adrian Ballou, maybe. And Adrian Ballou. I was thinking, who's the drummer in King Crimson? Uh, Bill Bruford. Yeah. yeah, Bill Bruford, Bruford is the guy yeah. I was trying to think of. Yeah, then, yeah, they stink by comparison. But compared to Sid Vicious and the like or whoever <laughs> sure. else was in... Yeah, I mean, yeah, we stink compared to King Crimson. Everybody stinks compared to King Crimson. Right. Basically. I'll, I'll, right. I'll push back slightly in that, like, no, they're not as they're. I don't think they belong musically in the same classification as bands like King Crimson or Genesis or some of those other like possible influencers, if if that's even the case. But I do think they they're good. I think it's it, it's complicated to pull some of this off. In fact, I even saw something where you know one of the guys I forget his name, but referred to making the album as like being kind of exhausting and just tedious beyond belief, which maybe it was for them. I don't know. But I, to me that felt kind of strange. I could see this style, especially in the guitar where it's kind of atonal and sometimes it's kind of a rhythmic 
where you just have to have like memorized the part. It doesn't flow naturally from one part to the next. And so you're just mm-hmm. like, okay, now I have to do this thing. And everything else in the song is telling me not to do this thing. And I have to just focus on doing this thing. That I can see the tedium coming in there. Yeah. So we played a little bit of Here Come the Rome Plows earlier. We're going to play a little bit more of that because I actually want to get into this song specifically. And believe it or not, dear listener, we'll actually, this is a different part of the song than you heard before. So here's a little bit more of Here Come the Rome Plows. felt like the beginning of the song you know that jason statham movie crank i was like like, in that in that when it started i was like oh my god my god what's going on here it's it's bracing yeah i agree yeah yeah well okay the first thing that jumps out right is they're playing at least in the opening in five four which to be fair to them you don't hear in a lot of songs of this nature that did that did jump out to me right away. It definitely was not take five. That is that is for sure. <laughs> no, right. I feel like it seems like a lot of these songs were probably written where the bass player played a bass line or just played something on the bass, and they were like, "We can just make a song around that." And then they kind of did that, and they were like, "It wasn't." I maybe again, I'm not giving them enough credit, but it didn't feel like they were like, "Let's write a song in five four. It sounds like they were like, that's a cool thing on the bass. Let's just write a song around that. And there were a couple of songs yeah. that sort of had that feeling to it. Yeah, I could see that. I thought, listen, the singer is abysmal. I, I can't really get past it. I For a lot of these tracks, my feedback is going to be kind of similar, which is, can I get an instrumental mix of this whole record? Because I think I would like it a lot better. But on this one, I felt the title, you know, the chorus, the shouted chorus is just particularly silly and teenage angsty and slam poetry i understand that rome plow is a reference to some kind of armored vehicle used in vietnam it's a killdozer <laughs> sure okay, that'd be much cooler name yeah killed. <laughs> yeah uh yeah i guess that's where yank crime comes from i thought maybe it was like uh you know you're like a peeping tom in the bushes or something like that but yeah i guess he's talking about the atrocities that were committed in vietnam but in a and it with a delivery style like this, like why even bother trying to have any meaning to your lyrics? I can't tell what the fuck you're saying. You're just screaming right. at me. It's like the rantings of a meth addict on the street. Well, and you know, in addition, you mentioned the thing about it being recorded poorly. I, I don't really necessarily agree that it was recorded poorly, but the vocals, it does sound like the producer knew the vocals were terrible and p- put them deep in the mix so that it has more of the feeling of you being in a club and listening to them where you can barely hear vocals in small clubs. And it made me think that maybe that's where they developed a lot of the songs, so they never had a chance to, this is this is a charitable take, that they never had a chance to develop the vocals, or that the guy didn't, either that he's purposely hitting terrible notes all the time, I'm not sure which it is. But my point is the mix at least buries it a bit. 
I do think the mix for for that kind of music though, and I'm not by no means any kind of like punk slash hardcore aficionado or, or expert, but I do think that is part of the brand is that the vocals are not given, they're not meant to be given a, a huge showcase or to be mixed, you know, super forward that it's supposed to kind of blend in with the rest of the instrument instrumentation. So I think that part makes sense. Um, I, the part I struggled with was, was just the unrelenting aspect of this song and most of the album as well. Although this, this song, especially, you know, when I think of, you know, like rage against a machine or, you know, bands like that, obviously much different, but they're verging on metal in some cases, like it's just hard and fast and furious, but there's like a, a pacing. There's a, I'm going to kind of fuck you in the face, but then I'm going to chill for a minute and then I'm going to come back. There's, there's like at least some, there's peaks and valleys. It feels like you're kind of on a journey. This, this was just like six minutes of just relentlessness. And I felt like I was like, had to catch my breath at the end of the song. And to me, I don't know. I, I think anybody can, can rage for, for six minutes and, I don't think it's that's that hard. Most of the songs at about three and a half minutes in, I was like, okay, we can wrap it up now and I'd be happy with this. (laughs) And the problem is that they'd go on for a lot longer. And this is one of the things that I'm going to not particularly say on this song, but like, I feel like so many of the songs, the, the ending is so unfocused and not written out and it just sort of peters out and like you can't, you know, there in this song there's no build. This song is just like Rah! from moment one. It's unrelenting. But even some of the songs where they build, it feels like you were building to something, but then you don't ever get there, and you kind of just sort of fall apart at the end. I I agree, totally agree, and that's one of the biggest differences when I gave that listen through to the King Crimson record today. I was like, oh, these songs are all so long, but they have so much sense of dynamic movement that draw me through the entirety of this song. So I don't mind the length at all. All these, None of these songs have that. They, they, they seem to really have a gap in their ability there. I get why they made long... I guess I understand why they made long songs, sort of. Just to buck genre convention, perhaps. But they didn't, it feels like, do the work of writing why the song should be long. It doesn't justify itself. Well, and I think the other part of that too, when you mentioned King Crimson, they do a lot of those like soundscapes, you know, if they're, if it's like an introductory soundscape for, you know, two to three minutes where it kind of feels like there may not be an intention, but they're like building up to something or they're, they're about to sort of explode into the song on this album. And there's a few songs in particular that do that their quote unquote introductory soundscape is just like feedback for, for two minutes. Yeah. And then they just start into the song and it just, it, it seems like it's a little bit aimless. Well, well, even there though, we we can get into it when we talk about a couple of the other songs. I think their intros are generally a little bit better than their outros to to your point. Right. I think that they have at least some sense of how to introduce something, build tension. It still goes on too long in my opinion. However, it's later in the song that I'm really feeling like, just like in a story, there has to be rising action. It kind of it has to accelerate upon itself as the length continues. I, I, I can deal with longer, slower exposition, but later in the song, that's uh, more of a problem. I'm going to touch back. <clears throat> pardon me. I'm going to touch back on something, Alan, you had talked about earlier, 
which is the it's almost like not cool in this type of music to have those subtle dynamics in there. And maybe that's not what they're going for, but like I need subtle dynamics, especially on long songs. It cannot just be go, 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 go the entire time. And you talked about how, you know, like it's not good to have the vocals up front, but like, that's kind of, again, that I know that I'm sure people who like this feel like grunge is lame, but like, that's what made grunge popular. Again, they took Nirvana, a loud, aggressive band, and they packaged them in a way that made it so that you could listen to it and you could hear what was going on and you could tell the subtlety, you could, you could hear a little bit more what was happening and it made it sound more impressive and marketable, I guess would maybe be the word for it. And these guys probably weren't that con- that concerned with being marketable, especially considering that two of the guys basically stopped playing music altogether, uh, stopped performing music altogether after this band. Mm-hmm. They just um, had enough. They were just like, that's, that's all we got. The bassist just stopped. Yeah. I saw a thing that they reunited. You know, they sort of broke up after this and then they reunited at some band, random band shell in San Diego playing with a very large organ that they have down there. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that? I did. And apparently it's because one of the guys in the band is like on the board of like the San Diego Organ Preservation Society or something <laughs> like that. Um, but yeah, they were talking about how the bassist was saying that he's like, I haven't played out since like 1995. Like, did he just become like a lawyer or something? Yeah, <laughs> I actually think no, he uh, he became a chemist. Oh, um, shit. oh nice. And uh, apparently, Mike uh, Mark Trombino he owns a very well regarded donut <laughs> shop in L.A. called Donut <laughs> Friend. It's apparently very popular. I mean, donuts are delicious. Can't get wrong there. All of the names of the donuts are like they they have like a green tegan and sarah donut a fudge gazi donut and i think possibly my favorite a chocolate from the crypt donut which you know i can see why it'd be a very popular hipster donut shop but yeah different you know these guys went in different directions after it which is it's kind of weird that you know for a band that was given so much credit for creating such these ripples in in music that like half of the band didn't really do music after that. I guess Mike was a Mark was a producer, but the the bassist didn't really do anything. But yeah, I mean, like this, I can I can see kind of why this album didn't sell all that great and never went gold or anything like that. So there's no real certifications for it. Very well regarded though, you know, all the insufferable hipster outlets say that this is you know the the masterpiece of the '90s, nine out of ten on Pitchfork and all that garbage. Meanwhile, they trash Dr. Dog every fucking chance they get. Well, Dr. Yeah. Dog has music that's accessible and that like lots of people can like. And if lots of people can like something, Alan, it can't be like, good. This sounds good. Let's give it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> the biggest difference is melody. This is very purposefully anti-melodic. Which, and I just can't get down with music like that. Where it just feels like the purpose is to shout and be atonal. At every step of the way, and yeah. Doctor Dog is very melody focused. As an example, my 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 notes under sort of general impression. My first note is I like singing. I wish there was singing. Like it's <laughs> just it's I can't classify this as singing. I really can't. Well, again, use the yeah. singing strategically. Like you brought up grunge earlier, Kurt Cobain screamed a lot, but he also he he like tempered his. His his volume, you know. Sometimes he actually sang. He had melody. He didn't just scream like one hundred percent of the time. Well, even one of their, I think one of their most obvious progenitors. Another record I listened to this week for comparison was 
what's the old Modest Mouse record? Lonesome Crowded yeah. West. Yeah. And I hear definitely some Modest Mouse in there, but Isaac Brock, A, when he does scream, he still hits some notes, like, consistently. <laughs> he does enough takes to actually hit notes. This guy did not do that or didn't want to do that or something. And then Isaac Brock also takes it down and is melodic sometimes and doubles his vocal sometimes. You know, like, so it does feel like a clear evolution on it conceptually, even though there's some similarities. Let's uh, let's move on to the next song we're going to talk about here, um, which I think is going we can talk a little bit more about the vocals in this, but it is the song Do You Compute? Like nine minute long song, Do You Compute? Let's let's get a portion of that going. <laughs> things that jumped out to me right away i kind of like the backing track of this and i want an instrumental mix of this song maybe you know it's still a little too long but the singing is so terrible like oh man hitting the right notes with your voice like so uncool man but one of the things that always jumps out to me is it feels like the punk aesthetic at least originally was an a response to be, you know, to arena rock, to the pomp and circumstance of playing in arena, and yet you take a song like this. This intro is very, I don't know, U two or something. It goes on for like a minute and a half. It's serving to build tension. I can picture it in a stadium. It just feels very weird that punk music or hardcore music kind of looped back to that level of bombast and indulgence. I don't mind it because I'm fine with arena rock, but that seems a little bizarre to me. That it only took whatever fourteen years for the punks to loop back to that. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did. I felt like it was a little bit of just, eh, you know, just kind of spew it out there. I actually, with this song, felt was starting to feel it a little bit at the beginning. You know, I kind of just said, "All right, let me suspend my disbelief a little bit." I thought the intro guitar was kind of nice. I thought the intro bass was kind of cool. As soon as the vocals kicked in it just snapped me out of everything. And there was just no chance I was going to get back into it. And there are parts of this song that I thought had like a tool vibe where I was like, Oh, this sounds a little bit like tool where it's, it's back to the atonal piece, but, but there was just no real melody to speak of. And so it was really hard to, to like grab onto it in any way. This is the song that for me gave me the, the King Crimson vibe specifically. I liked, I like this baseline a lot, actually. I, I think this baseline is really cool. I think it's a good glue for the song. And it put me in the mind of actually that song Starless when it kind of goes into that big breakdown in Starless where the bass is kind of doing that very long melody. That's very driving, but it holds everything together with all this other atonal crazy stuff is going on. Mm-hmm. But again, the problem that I have is that Starless builds to something, comes from something and builds to something. And this didn't feel like it came from an intro. The intro, I was like, Oh, there's melody here. Like 
more melody than I would have expected, especially after, you know, Here Come the Rome Plows. Um, but then the last two minutes and 15 seconds of the song is just a bass line and atonal guitar noise. And it doesn't go anywhere. And it's the same bass line he's been playing the whole time. And it's kind of the same atonal guitar noise you've been getting the whole time. And I'm I'm sitting here looking at this like, is there are you going to peak to something? Is something else going to happen? Or are you just going to fizzle out? Like... If I was seeing this band live, like that would be an unacceptable way to end a song live, let alone on an album when you can craft it and you're not sort of at the whims of the energy of the audience. But if you were it, all that's true, by the way, I agree with all that. But if, if you were seeing a band like this live, you probably wouldn't give a shit about how they wrap it up. And, I, and I'm not I'm not like knocking. I just think when you go to see music like this at a club, it's sweaty. It's hot it's mosh pit generally you're not like evaluating the the music itself you're just there for the for the action yes but i think that by not having the energy carried through to the end of the song it gives you that time to stop moving around and look her and be like what the hell am i actually doing with my life why am i here (laughs) (laughs) right right they don't even maintain the energy because i feel like these shows would be 100 percent about energy yeah yeah which is probably but, why those old punk hardcore songs are so short. Yeah. 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 Good plan. Stick, should have stuck with the formula, guys. <laughs> I I really, I have it stuck in my head. Can't get it out. And it's like the word, Do you compete? Do you compete? It's so bad. The delivery is so wretched on this. Yeah. Again, instrumental, I'd be in for it. I'd still think that you need to edit a lot, but yeah, it's not. It's not good. I agree. He this singer really shits over on everything here. <laughs> yeah. Does, is the singer also playing a guitar? I didn't really look into the. He's a rhythm guitar personnel. player. I see. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, a rhythm guitar player in these like often arrhythmic songs. <laughs> but it just goes back to just these just extraordinarily indulgent songs. You know, I guess people like it. If this song was four minutes long and it had a peak and a crescendo and not that insanely long intro, then I would like it a lot more. And I, again, we're talking about King Crimson. I love King Crimson. I've listened to lots of King Crimson recently. I'll give me a 12 minute song. Totally. But take me on a 12 minute journey. So that that's, that's my fear here is that we're comparing them to bands like that, which because those are the bands we know and not to the bands they would think to be comparing themselves to or that they would think of themselves as an evolution from. Because the truth is, I don't know any of those bands very well. Sure. Well, I mean, I, what, Honor Roll was the one of their, their early influences. I listened to some of that, and it's, yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> this is more instrument-focused, I would say, from the very little that I listen to. It's, it's more, like, rhythmically focused and instrument-focused. But I, what I'm saying is I'm not comparing them to King Crimson, like, hey, you got to, you know, you have to be as good as King Crimson to make me like your stuff. But I do think that you need to justify a nine minute song. And I didn't feel like this song is justified at nine minutes. There's just so much fat on that bone. Agreed. Yeah, exactly. Like King Crimson are world-class musicians and are meticulous about what they write. And I agree. If you are going to have that much self-indulgence, I would even put fish in this category where like, it's as self-indulgent as you can possibly get, but there is a plan. It seems like where there's, <laughs> there's some sort of uh, 
you know, momentum building and, and that kind of thing. Sure. By the way, I was I was wrong. This song is not nine minutes long, and this song is seven minutes long. The next uh, song we're going to talk about is nine minutes long. So. How dare you. <laughs> I was going to say, Tom and I saw King Crimson a few years back. Didn't they have like three drummers like right at the front of the stage? They did. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they had at one point the bass player was playing that weird bass-like instrument. It's like the that is basically stick or something? It's just, a, it's just a fretboard. And so he's double. It, the whole thing is a fretboard. And so he's just double with both hands. He's fretting as there's like no strumming or anything like that. It was really weird. And so it was interesting they sounded good they're very indulgent again but the virtuosity and the cohesion of the songs kind of carries that through yeah agreed let's move on to a song that i uh, it's not my low point i actually kind of liked the chorus on it but we're going to talk about the song luau just make you think of barbecues on the beach i was expecting like a ukulele and like yeah yeah. i could hear the slack key guitar right now this song to me sounded like as a musician when you're having like a stoned jam session and you know 20 minutes later you're like dude that sounded awesome and then you listen back to the recording and you're like oh actually it was fun to play but it did not sound good (laughs) At all. I I don't really care much for the vocals in general, and I don't pay that much attention to them. I couldn't understand a fucking word he said in this entire song. Like, I 100% would have needed a lyric sheet to know what the hell he was talking about, period. Well, luckily, Spotify provided that lyric sheet to me. They did, yeah. Listen, this was actually my favorite song. It's a little bit of a low bar, but it was, I I guess I'm very chorus-oriented basic bitch over here, but I thought this was the best chorus it gave me the most Modest Mouse vibes, early Modest Mouse, doing the cockroach era Modest Mouse. It's definitely way too long, but I thought this was a good example. You know, I'm going to guess that what we just played was the beginning of the song. Makes sense. But given that it's such a freaking long song, can we drop in? It happens in right about minute seven where I thought this was a good example of how they find some interesting noisy purchase, so to speak, occasionally. 653. I, really... I got it. I got it that down as Dude, well. That's I funny. Like, I, have, yeah. I have 645 as like a, okay. oh, they're doing something here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, let's take, let's drop yeah. it in for the listeners.
so it was, it was little things like that and the fact that the chorus felt the most chorusy to me that that made this kind of the standout tune that it's it's triumphant it builds to a triumph you get it at the end and you're like yeah all right you took me on a journey but then it just sort of piddles out again with no direction and no tightness at the end i i, I like tightness in songs yeah, I, I definitely felt like after that I was expecting more, and that's where that kind of like stone jam thing came in, where it was like, okay, let's just noodle around a little bit more, and I guess it's time to end the song. Yeah. So the chorus, we've talked about it before. Like, chorus is definitely my favorite part of the song, too. And I think part of it is is that there's two voices. You actually get that other person. It's like it's approaching vocal harmony. <laughs> <laughs> well there is one other time they attempt harmony and it's pretty painful but yeah i, I agree they're yeah. just going for straight unison here and it yeah. works yeah and i was like you know what i i i dug that you're right that that aloha aloha suit up line kind of stuck with me a little bit as like maybe it's just one of the few things that i could catch on as like approaching a hook in these songs but that was i like that i do however alan on your your quote about the lyrics so the lyrics are all about basically like um native hawaiians like killing the white people and taking their shit back basically um i'm cool with that there's like a line <laughs> um, where he says like wipe the last halley the fuck off our turf you know um and they in the spotify lyrics they have it as an a-hole but he said definitely says howley it's like wipe the last howley the fuck off our turf like we'll take all basically like we're gonna take all your all of our all the shit back from these fucking white people that have come and taken our land. But it it brought up to me this thing that I particularly have a bone to pick with. So, you know, my wife's from Hawaii. I go to Hawaii quite a bit. A um, couple times a year, we'll go out there and visit her family. And I have found that there is this ultra-annoying phenomenon, specifically with California dudes. A lot of them are Southern California dudes, where they have this concept that, like, oh, yeah, Hawaiians hate Howleys. I mean, not me. They hate every, they hate all the other Howleys, but I'm cool. Like, oh, they like me. And like, motherfucker, number one, Native Hawaiians are really fucking nice. And so all of the locals that you meet that are really nice to you, they're really nice to everybody because they're actually really nice people. And I mean, you can see why they live in paradise. It makes a lot of sense. And the ones that hate tourists, they think of you as a tourist too. You don't think of yourself as a tourist because I guess you'd like to surf in San Diego, but you're still a goddamn tourist and they still hate you if they hate tourists. And It's like protect the land. It's like, you're from fucking New Jersey. <laughs> what are you talking Wait, about? Seriously. Quick, quick point of clarification. That term it refers to mainlanders or all tourists? Howley. Um, yeah. So Howley is used pretty much derogatorily for white people and not not tourists, like just white people. Like you can be born and raised in Hawaii. and But it's also one of those things where like, you know, white people there are trying to take the power back from that word and like using it to self-describe. I have been called a Howley in a very nice way. I've also been called a Howley in a, like, get the fuck away from me or I'm going to kick your ass away for no reason whatsoever, just, like, in line someplace. Um, usually it's derogatory, and it apparently came from, it mean, in, like, Native Hawaiian, it literally means, like, people without breath. Um, there's a couple of ways that that has been interpreted. One is that they thought people were pale like ghosts, and so they thought that they were dead. Another way is that there was a like a greeting ceremony where you would kind of like get in each other's faces and like breathe each other's breath. And like the Europeans, when they came, was like 
what the fuck are you doing get away from me um so they call them the people without breath which is like how i think like how is like hao is like uh breath and like they they modify it to say howlay without breath hmm well, thank you for that uh, little digression. I I had never even heard that term before I came to California, and probably until I interacted with you and your wife, Tom. So I just didn't think that was commonly known. No, okay. this moment in history was sponsored by Arby's. <laughs> yeah, <seriously. laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you know uh, I did have an Arby's ad written up for this one. We I haven't done it yet, but uh, nah, that's I'll throw, I'll th- it's all right. I'll throw it in for next time. You know, pineapple pineapple roast beef sandwich. <laughs> it's actually southwestern Bam. southwestern fajitas. <laughs> Don't they? Is it true that that in Hawaii that they like spam? Or am I? No, it is absolutely one hundred percent true. They fucking love spam and treat it like it's real food. Um, apparently, it goes back to back in the day when the army rations would there would just be a lot of spam there because it was easily transportable and they could get it. But yeah. My wife is consistently telling me how spam is legitimate food and better than Scrapple, which is laughable. <laughs> laughable. Dude, you better get those divorce Please. papers uh, <laughs> filed. <laughs> okay, so to, to loop it back to this band, though, they are not from Hawaii. So they're that SoCal personality that you were... They're that SoCal personality that basically like I got some I got some friends that are locals, man. So like I'm not a tourist. I'm cool. And like, dude, my, I got, you know, family there. My wife's brother who was like adopted but he's like native hawaiian and i'm not like i'm cool with the locals man i'm like i know what i am i'm a fucking white guy tourist like don't try to act like you're all cool and special just because you surf sometimes in san diego anyway these guys have a weird you know they're definitely trying to be we we haven't mentioned the origin of their name yet as being biblical but they're definitely trying to be kind of literary and a little highfalutin at a few steps of the game Mm -hmm. right Good thing they make it clear what they're saying all the time so that you can get these illusions, <laughs> the depth of these illusions. Yeah, I, I, you know, nine-minute songs, what, what, what's I believe about that? Uh, but, yeah, you know, this song, I, I will give them credit for the fact that this is a 3-4 song that is driving. I feel like 3-4 songs are often lilting and they're not driving. It actually took me a while into the song to realize that it was in 3-4 and I was like oh this feels like a pretty naturally driving 3-4 which is it's not common so I'll give them credit for that yeah I can agree with that they do they do a lot with 3-4 in general in this record I, every time I would kind of catch myself counting it would be commonly in that tempo and it's not it's not common and it's not common to be driving so I agree yeah but I still have the same problem with just like really dissonant guitars it's like that pre-chorus guitar that he's playing that's just it's so purposefully really dissonant and i obviously that's what you're going for but i don't know why it sounds bad it just sounds bad <sighs> let's go on to the song super unison now we might be tempted when we play this to cut the intro off of super unison <laughs> play it in its entirety so the people out there get a sense for it well i think Okay. We want people to listen to this. <laughs> I was going to say it would be funny if because we normally play clips that are in the realm of 45 seconds to a minute. And it's just feedback for that length of time. So that would be a good boosh on the listener.
Well, that's what I referenced earlier, which is there is I'm sorry, I don't care how innovative people think this is or how new or original listening to just straight feedback for that long. I I don't see I don't see any. I don't know, but what's the point? So it's not straight feedback as far as I can tell, (laughs) because there's two notes going on. Yeah. And. It must have been very purposefully designed because they're kind of phasing each other, giving that little warble, like, and that's what made me, like, physically uncomfortable. The first time that I listened to this, I could not make it through the intro. I had to stop and be like, oh, my God, like, it's got my heart racing in a very uncomfortable way. I don't like this at all. It's like the exact opposite of ASMR, you know, like, it's the most uncomfortable. It's like the sound of somebody, like, chewing in your ear or something like that. I don't know why they would do that. It made me hate this song instantaneously. I hated this song. <laughs> well, what's funny is like I, I actually didn't hate the song. I, I thought the intro was just totally unnecessary. I did feel like there was I actually made a note around the four and a half minute mark that that might have been the first instance of non-screaming. Yes, I, I that noted I that too. Yeah, in he- the entire the entire record and i did think the last minute or so was was kind of awesome um so i didn't hate the song i just i just did you know for the better part of the first like several minutes felt a little bit lame but i thought it finished strong that 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 vocal section you just talked about yeah i think it's right around 420 430 where they calm down the singer hits actual notes for a minute and it sounded to me it was like a what could have been moment but it sounded like a slightly noisy, more dissonant version of Weezer or something. Yeah, that's the don't let that man inside your home part. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, or possibly whole. Don't let that man inside, because they didn't put the lyrics in entirety for this. Like, the lyrics that were on Spotify basically were like four lines, and I think it said blah, blah, blah after that. <laughs> right. Maybe I've That that was the part that actually connected the dots to emo for me. I didn't hear it before. I didn't hear emo before. I'm not that familiar with emo. But this, I was like, oh, okay, I can see where emo could come out of this. But every time, every time I had to listen to the song, I was kind of dreading it because the intro was just so unpleasant. And it made me – I agree. It's not – it's not a bad song. If I could just start it 28 seconds in and cut out the 27 seconds of feedback, that would have been much more enjoyable for me. But it's just it's just too much. Well, again, if those in- if the intro soundscapes are building to something and if they feel like they're that, you know, there's some sort of like plan to it. Like I can live with that, you know, it, and, and a lot of the music that, that I listen to that we all listen to has that kind of shit. But I just didn't feel like it was was going anywhere in this sense. Again, until like the end of the song, but we're talking like four or five minutes later. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about a lot of things on here that just feel unjustified. It's an unjustified intro, unjustified length of the song. Sort of, uh, I, I don't... Um, 
Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to just piss all over this album because it might not be evident, but it did kind of grow on me. And after you know the third or fourth listen, I did find myself appreciating the songs a lot more than on the first listen. The first listen was just such an assault on the senses that I was like, uh, Rob, you. I remember you described the MIA album as like what it's like to hop off of a plane in a developing country. It's just like an assault on all of your senses. This was like that, and I. But once I could get past that, I could appreciate it a little bit more. But it took work. It was not. It was not the easiest. I, no, I agree. I sort of found myself avoiding listening to it earlier in the week, but it did eventually kind of creep in there. Like I said, I never got acclimated to the vocal stylings. <laughs> However, the music itself, it it rocks. I think it does undeniably rock. It, but it has these problems we're talking about. Yeah. Where did you guys listen to this? Because I, I'm just curious. Normally, with a lot of these albums. I have a few like stand standby places that I'll listen to it. You know, one might be like when I'm while I'm making dinner or if I'm driving in the car or, you know, I've got, I'm, I'm only in three places ever. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I found this hard to just put on like while I'm hanging out with the family. Yeah. Shit like that. Where'd you guys like listen? Not to family this? approved for sure. Yeah. I specifically, I even had a conversation with my wife about it because I was had my headphones in when I was making dinner, and the kids were coming in to talk to me, and I couldn't hear them because the music was blasting. And she was, you know, not giving me grief for it, but she was kind of like, "Oh, like what's going on with that?" It's like I'm not subjecting you guys to this. Trust me, you don't want to hear this. <laughs> like, I'm going in the basement and turning the lights off. And yeah. <laughs> it was all solo listening for me as well. Yeah, a little bit of walking around with headphones in the city, and a little bit of driving by myself. Yeah, it's it's not terrible car music. It's not great, certainly not contemplative music. I'm not putting it on when I'm just trying to, you know, enjoy a quiet moment after everyone's going to bed or anything like that. But it is a, uh, yeah, it's mood music. Certainly is mood music. It puts you in the mood of anger, I guess. <laughs> Manufactured rage. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go on to the last song that we are going to cover here on our focus list we have the song hand over fist now before we dump jump into this song i think that is important to say that this song is from the 2003 reissue of the album it was not one of the original tracks that came out um i kind of picked it because it was a different sound and i think it may be pointed in a different direction so let's take a listen to hand over fist sounds different it sounds like it was yeah. of a different era almost that's it's interesting context i didn't realize that when i was listening to it but i wrote that this sounded the most like some of the other stuff i actually like which is later 90s or early 2000s noisy indie like built to spill or yoa tango even and it also gave me some u2 or similar kind of stadium rock vibes i have to say but yeah, and it was nice and short and compact, right? I can't remember exactly what the time was. It's a four-minute song. It's still a four-minute, 29-second song, I think. But like, All right, well, by comparison, yeah. it was pretty concise. Yeah. yeah. 
The, that said, the harmonies were, were really painful here. Yeah, but at least they tried. At least there was something <laughs> no, that was not, the harmony. Not giving grades for that. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. No, You're not no, grading on a curve here. No. It's, it's funny that you mentioned listening to this in the car. I did feel like this was this had a nice like road trip, kind of like rocking, you know, cruising down the freeway kind of feel to it. Um, I was also thrown. I restarted this song like four times because I was like, was that a cough? In that the intro, out, yeah. and I was totally thrown, thinking it was something else, and definitely restarted the song like four times. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cough, and it's pretty it's terrible. Bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking it made me think of another. Yeah, there's that Black Sabbath song "Sweet Leaf" that starts with coughing, but that song's about smoking marijuana, so it kind of <laughs> makes sense, at least in the context of the song. Yeah, that's a that's seems intentional like they went back afterwards like we have to add that cough in this right. this was just i guess the guy actually coughed on the mic and you know this there's like 24 seconds of just like weird noise room noise at the end of the song too where they're like oh we fucked up a bunch on that take and i don't know i just don't understand why you include that again i maybe it gives that sense of you're in the room with them but it's it's just another example of the bloat and what the hell is that is that a vocoder at the beginning? Vocoder for the lose again this week or something like? What's going on with that? Uh, you know, I guess they're saying hand over fist or something at the beginning through that super distorted sound. What the hell is that? I don't know. I didn't pick up on that honestly. Well, I have to go back and re-listen. It's like the beginning that would be a of very the song. Uh, not seemingly on brand for for this band to use that. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we need a we need a consultant on sound waves to maybe better understand that. It just it sounds like a really intense filter, like he's going through a megaphone or some. Yeah, maybe thing. something like that. But it sounded unpleasant, and there was just a lot of it at the beginning of the song. Again, it's overindulgent and uh, pointlessly so, in my opinion. It didn't make it didn't prep me for the song. You talk. We talked about the soundscape aspect, and I agree. There's a there's a lot of my favorite music has soundscapes, but I feel like they are their table setting for the meal that you're going to have, and this is not setting the table appropriately for the meal of the song. Yeah, this is definitely stuff like that. They're they're very purposely. We, the one phrase we haven't mentioned that we love on this podcast is freaking out squares. <laughs> this sure. has a lot of I'm mad at my suburban mom and my ex-military dad and i need to freak him out with both uh, weird time signatures and painful screaming and things like that you know it's just i just think it's perfect very purposely antagonistic yeah you know we've talked about this in the past but like another band that is purposely antagonistic is ween uh, they always put very early on in their albums it's either first or the second track on their albums is always one song that is almost borderline unlistenably weird spinal meningitis yeah <laughs> or you know like i said on that on the mollusk the opening tracks the song dancing in the show which is just a child who sounds like they have mental health problems singing and they're daring you to get through it but once you get through it they give you good stuff you know they're like oh now here's yeah. actually some good stuff you made it through congratulations well I didn't it's diverse get a whole lot it's, of, it's they they yeah. It's musical. They incorporate yeah. musical concepts into into the recordings. It's like a Michelin star chef who decides to make a cheeseburger every once in a while. They, you know, <laughs> you know, they have the skill to back it up. Sure, just probably banging cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah. I don't know. With Ween, it seems more playful, and with these guys, it seems aggressive. 
Like they're sort of aggressively daring you to listen to the rest of this music. That Ween comparison is interesting because I definitely caught some of those vibes like vocally, just in terms of the abrasiveness. But I agree that if you're familiar with Ween or if you go the distance with their stuff, then you're you're rewarded in a much different way. Yeah. Best thing I can say about this song is it's not long enough to be offensive. I can <laughs> I can put up with it. Again, it's you know uh, I'm grading it on a curve because my sense of how long songs should be got thro- so thrown out of whack by this the rest of this album. But uh, you know I included it on here. There were three tracks actually that were included on the reissue. There were bonus tracks. It was the last three: Hand Over Fist, Bullet Train to Vegas, and Sinew's original version which is just 20 seconds longer than the sinews on, you know, I included it because it was, you know, it felt like maybe their attempt at a radio song. Cause like none of these other songs are radio songs. Could you imagine? Well, was that? this recorded at the same time or was this recorded later? And then they just like bolted it in. I could not get any, any information on that. There's not a ton of info on this. So yeah, I, I didn't know about that. They don't seem like they're big fans of giving interviews. Yeah, apparently their lead singer is like notoriously media shy and will just like never make himself available. Because I even read an article from they had gone to play Treasure Island Festival and they're interviewing like everybody. And apparently Froberg, the singer, is like standing outside of the tent, like smoking cigarettes and refusing to come in to talk to to, to talk to the, the interviewer. So. It's nice grounded personality. Wants trait. to let his lyrics speak for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I left it all on the tape, guys. I just screamed for an hour and a half. I don't have any yeah. vocal cords left to talk. I mean, honestly, though, this this must be punishing to sing a an entire show of this stuff. It seems. I will concede that the it's a, it's a physical feat to uh to deliver this this kind of vocal uh, performance but also exhausting to listen to let's also be clear exhausting to listen to. absolutely yeah absolutely oh and also just put yourself in the mindset of like what do you think what do you think his singing ability is like 40 minutes into that drive like jay you said how how off those notes do you think that he is by the time his voice is getting super tired it's got to be pretty horrendous well and they're probably doing it like one thing i do know about that sort of hardcore punk scene is that you know i can't speak for this band but the whole straight edge thing was was pretty big so i don't it's possible that none of this was like fueled by like alcohol or drug use in order to kind of like sustain that kind of performance so it, it might be uh, more of a natural so that's even more impressive is that what you're trying to pitch <laughs> well i well i think it actually it might help in a way because you're not you know, if you're if you're like six beers deep, eight beers deep, you can like power through that shit. It's, I think it's more damning because the singer sounds like a drunk that just wandered in from an Irish novel <laughs> off the street. <laughs> well, it's I don't know their story specifically. I don't know. I, I can't say if they were straight edge back in the day. I will say that again. I read that interview uh, when they were playing Treasure Island. And the interviewer, for some reason, happened to mention that when he walked in, they were like, hey, grab yourself a beer. There's nothing but Mexican beer and tequila in there, but you can grab what you want. So in, in you know, 2015, at least they were drinking. A lot could have happened in the intervening years. Well, but I mean, the occupational hazards of running a donut shop are, <laughs> you know, you, you do have to medicate yourself. But, but again, this guy's also a multi-platinum producer. He's probably loaded and doing quite well for himself. Fair.
So, any final parting thoughts before we uh, before we wrap it up and get to voting, guys? No. No. You, uh, we, you don't. We, we've said it all. All right. You don't. You don't <laughs> want to talk for uh, you know nine minutes about a nine minute song. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's get to the voting. I am kind of curious how this is going to go. This is also one of those ones where I don't quite know what my vote is going to be. So I am going to throw it over first to Alan. Let's hear it. Does this belong? Must hear before you die. Yeah. So I'm going to say no. I, I think I don't want to like shit on this album just because I don't like it. I don't want to suggest that like other people shouldn't like it or that it doesn't deserve the recognition that it's got. I will say again, it was, I forget which episode it was. I made a comment around, am I really qualified to talk about this stuff? If I seem to miss the mark with what everyone else thinks is great. Right. So I do struggle with like, is there something good about this that I'm missing? But I I don't think that just because something is new or it's innovative or it sounds different, I don't think that automatically makes it good. So I, I'm going to say no. I just don't think that that you have to hear this. I don't find this to be essential listening. So it's, it's, it's a no for me. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to land on no as well for kind of similar reasons. I... Ended up liking the record at least a little bit. I don't think I'm going to be playing it anytime real soon for myself. But I see how it rocks, and I see more clearly now after listening to it a bunch of times and thinking about it for this week and, and us talking about it, I see the lines to the you know of its influences. It's I see its its band descendants, and I like some of those things. That said, if we're talking about your engagement with the musical canon even as a musical nerd. Like, if you're that person who loves Modest Mouse and Built to Spill and other noisy modern bands that I can't think of right now, then, yeah, absolutely, go listen to this. It's It seems like it's an important progenitor of that style of noise. No, noise is the key word here. I just don't find that noise is a, a, a genre designation that is so important that everyone must understand its entire lineage. Right. One of the things that I, I saw in that interview that I thought kind of summed up their position on this, I think it was that same Treasure Island interview, Tom, is that the guitar player described his motivations as, I have this continuous need to have my head filled with noise, specifically the noise I make. <laughs> I, think that, I think that says it all. If that sounds appealing to you, then by all means, dig in. But if not, but average listener or even nerdy musical canon listener that we're appealing to, nope, I think you can skip it. Sounds like that guy just needs like anti-anxiety meds or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I, so I am actually going to come down on the side of yes. I think you need to listen to this album exactly one time and then probably never listen to it again. But I do think that it could potentially open up your eyes of some stuff that you maybe didn't think you would have liked and point you in a direction of a couple of different genres because there are so many roads you could take from this band to other genres. I very much like you, Rob, I came to like the album after playing it. It's an assault. I certainly would not listen to the entirety of this album ever again. I might listen to one or two of these songs on their own, but yeah, I'd say give it a try, but I will submit to the tyranny of the majority and say, sorry, drive like Jehu. You are not, on the list better luck next time saved you an hour people (laughs) yeah a good hour by like hour nine whatever (laughs) with the extra tracks oh golly well 
All that is left to do, dear listeners, is to figure out what we're going to be listening to next week. Maybe it's that Rocket from the Crypt album that is on this list as well. Let's get that albinator out, spin it around, and see in which direction the oracle points. So, drum roll, please. Next week, we will be listening to... Jesus Christ, what what is up with these spellings? Okay, we have the album is Melody AM, and the artist is Roiksop. There's an umlaut on the first O, oh, two Ps. <laughs> Um, can you can you please tell this albinator to start uh, throwing up albums that people have actually heard of? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> can we maybe get like something? I don't know. There's got to be a Nirvana album on there or something. <laughs> Just like settle into some Christopher Cross or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So whatever the hell that is, that's what we're going to be doing next week, dear listeners. So do your homework. I'll, I'll spell it for you just in case you want to be able to look this up. R O with an umlaut. Y K S O P P. Roiksop. I'm going to guess that this is a very straightforward album. Not at all weird and indulgent, right? Just clean pop songs. <laughs> Three minute, one, four, five. Just yeah, all just the... A lot of beautiful harmony and melody, you know? Well, it sounds like we're all going in on fresh on this one, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah, that, that is kind of always exciting. So we've we've voted. We've picked our next album. Before we sign off, just wanted to let you guys know that if you think that we were completely off base, if you think that what we had to say was ridiculously stupid and uh, Drive Like Jehu is canon and must be listened to, we have an email address set aside specifically to hear your feedback, your criticisms, your praise, whatever you want to throw at us. 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. Send us an email We'll try to read it on the air. We're getting inundated with so many emails these days, so we can't read them all on the air, but we would love to read them on the air. I think you should send us a nine-minute audio file that doesn't go anywhere with your criticism <laughs> in it. Just, and just scream whatever your, your feedback <laughs> yeah. is. And then just peter out somewhere near the end. Uh, please don't do that, listeners. I've had enough of that already this week. I, you know, I would take it, actually. Any kind of engagement is good engagement, so... Well, we'll also have a playlist that we're going to put together on Spotify with some of the other um, bands and songs that we have referenced. Probably going to be a lot of King Crimson on that, but maybe a Ween track or two, or maybe a Fish song that you guys can listen to. Which, by the way, I mean, these the people that like Drive Like Jehu, and I'm sure the guys that are in Drive Like Jehu are the exact kind of people that would absolutely hate a Fish concert yes. so much. Agreed. I feel like if we do put a Fish song on, it should be something like Reba. That's just... Yeah, like very this unpalatable. Is what, this is what 18 minutes of unpalatable but musical noise <laughs> sounds like. Yeah. Uh, so listen to that Roiksop album for next week. Check out uh, the Spotify playlist. Write us an email. Do all those things, dear listeners. Thank you very much for hanging on to the very end. Until then, I have been Tom. I've been Rob. I've been Alan. All right, and here come the Boosh Plows. 